You are listening to the light of today with the powerful, life-changing Word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. Well, are you happy to be in in church on Thursday night? Amen. All right. Um, It's good to be back here uh, in the pulpit with Light of Today. Thank you for the people that, you know, for for allowing me to to go and do some traveling and to be a blessing to other people and other other churches. They were really blessed by our ministry Uh, in Atlanta. Light of Today is getting getting around. Amen. Amen. Did you enjoy Sunday? I heard the preacher wasn't too bad. <laughs> Amen. Well, we're very grateful to have um, my father in this in this church, who's a who's a deacon here, an elder actually, a minister, and so he can man it. You get to hear from another Palmer when I'm gone sometimes. Praise God. Amen. So we welcome you tonight, and uh, I'm going to minister to you for about 50 minutes, and uh, I don't have to preach long to preach effectively. Correct. Okay, so let's go with me real quick. I want you to go to three passages of Scripture in your Bible. This is our Bible study. And, uh, you know, I was having a talk while you're turning there. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and Titus chapter 1. Can I give to you some stuff that I wouldn't typically give to you on a Sunday morning? Is that okay? Okay. Because I want us to be educated. Amen? In a church service... um, on Sunday mornings, we minister directly to people, but on Thursday nights, I take little rabbit trails so that I can be able to give you some education because one of the things that God wants you to be as a believer is smart and educated. I was talking to a professor of mine who is proficient in Hebrew. He's been uh, to Israel over 42 times. He's an archaeologist. He does digs over there. If any of you actually ever wanted to go on an archaeological dig, I know it's kind of random. If you decided you wanted to go dig for uh, things that uh, could actually end up in a museum sometime, let me know, and I can hook you up with the right people. You say, why would you say that? You'd be surprised how many people would actually want to do that. But he said to me, he said, Chris, as a pastor, what do you see as the greatest need in the church today? I said, before people get in church or after people get in church? They said, after. I said, they need to be taught the Word of God. You'd be so surprised how many people don't really know what's in the Bible. Uh, You know, uh, we were talking today about an obituary. And somebody wrote in the obituary, you know, so-and-so left this earth on such-and-such day to go to heaven to be a guardian angel. And I think to myself, where did they get this from? And these are people that have been in church 15 years so we don't, we're not here, not at this church, amen. amen. But, uh, so I'll say this quickly. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are known as, somebody say, the pastoral epistles. Pastoral. All right, because this is written to people, these are written to pastors, so the Bible calls them pastoral epistles. So we're going to do a little study in the pastoral epistles tonight, okay? Is that, that's your education nugget for the night. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. It says here, unto Timothy... My own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Do you guys got it? If you have it, say amen. Amen. Okay. To Timothy, the Apostle Paul is writing to the same guy. My dearly beloved son, grace, 
mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It looks like the same exact verse, doesn't it? All right, let's go to Titus chapter 1. Paul's writing to Titus. He says, to Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. You notice that these three salutations look pretty similar, do they not? So you look and say, well, we read and sometimes go through the Word of God and we think that the first two verses, the first three verses of the epistles have absolutely no significance. We're just about to see in just a moment that these verses here are some of the most powerful in the Word of God. These are put in our place so that we can exactly understand who God is to us. Let me read to you Titus 3, verse 4 and 5. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. Someone say mercy. mercy. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now let me read to you one more scripture. Can I give you one more? Psalm chapter 136 and verse 1. It says, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. I want to ask you a question quickly. How many people that are here tonight, I want you to focus and pay attention to what I'm saying. How many people here tonight can look back at any point in your life and think about a moment where God has helped you? Can you think about a situation in your life where you could not do something on your own strength? Where you may have gotten yourself into a mess or did something where you deserve something that you didn't necessarily have to pay the price for. Because somehow, something, and maybe even at that time, you didn't recognize it was God. But you got out of a mess somehow. And now you look back on it and think, you know what? That had to have been God. You know, sometimes you don't realize that God is helping you and He's working all things for your good. Sometimes back when we were in the world, we were so, and I'm going to use this word, stupid doing things and so caught up in our stupidity and we escape the mess and then we get back later in life when we've increased in wisdom by the grace of God and we look back on it and say, you know what? That was God that helped me out of that situation. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about something that is working in your life that you may not even realize is at work. It's called the mercy of God. And I want to say it like this tonight. Mercy is God's invisible force always working on your behalf by the time you leave tonight i want i want you to never forget i want you to never get it i want you to keep it in your mind at all time that everywhere you go the bible said in psalm chapter 23 that mercy follows you hello somebody Amen. look at someone next to you and say the mercy of god follows me say i have the mercy of god and so let me define to you what the mercy of God is. Number one, if you're writing notes, the mercy of God is God's kindness to those who are afflicted. I'm going to say it one more time. The mercy of God is God's kindness to those people who are afflicted. Do you know that most people today in the world, if you just call them on the phone, you'll find out after about five minutes of talking that every single person in the world today has an affliction of some kind. If I had you in my office and said, what are your afflictions? What is affliction? Something that, that harasses you. Something that beats up against you. Something that is causing you pain. When I hear the word affliction, I think of a thorn in your hand hitting a thorn branch. Ow, it hurts, right? 
or you know you stub your toe against the I was the other day in my room I was walking to turn the light off and I stubbed my toe and here's the problem with stubbing your toe when you stub your toe the way your brain works you know you stubbed your toe before the pain comes right you know what I'm talking about you walk up you hit it and you think uh oh and then about two or three seconds later, that rush of pain comes flying at you at 100 miles an hour. And it makes you, ah! amen, somebody. Amen. Well, you look at affliction in your soul or affliction in your life. And it's similar to how it feels when you stub your toe. It is something that is causing you constant and tremendous pain. It's an annoyance and it's a nuisance. But what I'm here to tell you tonight is that... You have God's kindness towards you in that affliction that you're facing right now in this moment. Amen. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. So I want you while I'm preaching tonight to identify your affliction. Find out the thing that you have in your life. Because I want whatever is afflicting you, the Bible says, Is any that are sick among you, let them call for them. Are any of you afflicted? Because one of the things that God is best at dealing with as the afflictions of his people. You could have uh, mental anxiety and stress at work. You could have a relationship problem. You know, some of the most greatest afflictions that people have are the results of bad relationships or bad and improper management of those relationships. How many can say you've experienced an affliction because you let the wrong person into your life? I'm going to tell you what right now, 90% of afflictions that come are usually from the people that you should have never let in your life in the first place. Amen, somebody. So you find out the affliction that you have, and you keep that in the back of your head, and I'm going to minister, minister to it right now. Amen, somebody. Okay, but not only is mercy God's kindness to afflicted, mercy is God's kindness. And I want this to seep into your mind. God is kind. Hello. That is what I know to be the case about Christianity is I, I got into a discussion with a young gal and she told me the God of Islam is the same as the God of Christianity. I said, that's impossible. She said, why? I said, because the God of Christianity is kind. He does not destroy people and use others to destroy people. Hello, somebody. Amen. You know, you saw on the news today, you have an ISIS unit either over there in Syria destroying everything that is pre-Christian. Hello, somebody. You got to pray. We, have, we, we need to pray for those members of humanity that are involved in false religion. Amen. Hello, somebody. Amen. It doesn't matter what false religion is. We have to pray and believe that Jesus will start appearing to those people. Because I can tell you this, when you have the heart of God, you don't want to see anybody perish. You want to see them come to the knowledge of the truth. We have to pray for people that are caught up in false religion. Hello, somebody. We need to be praying for those people because guess what? At one point, we were too. Amen. Amen. But not only is God's kindness expressed to the afflicted, it's God's kindness expressed with a desire to help the people that are afflicted. You're sitting in your affliction right now. Whatever is grievously vexing you. And God has something inside of him called kindness and mercy. And when God sees you grievously vexed with the thing that you're going through. 
first of all, you need to understand you're not alone in that thing. You're not suffering that thing alone. You have a God that has revealed himself to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 as the father of mercies. Hello? And he sees that thing that you're going through. And the first thing that happens to him in his mercy is there's an emotion that is aroused in God when he sees that you are afflicted. The Bible says he sees that thing that you're going through and he's not some type of stern God that sits there that's cold and far off. He sees what you're afflicted by and God's heart breaks. God sees you over there. He sees you drowning. You know, I remember watching a lifeguard one time when I was at Myrtle Beach. Some kid started drowning. The lifeguard sitting there. God looks at the, uh, the, the the lifeguard looks at the kid. The kid, I don't know if he was playing. The kid just starts going like this. The lifeguard whoosh, took the whistle off in that water within one and a half seconds. Bam! Grabbed that kid, put him up to the side. Parents came running. If you think about this, this is how mercy works. God's your lifeguard. He sees you all messed up inside that stuff that you're going through. He sees you afflicted by some type of problem. And God doesn't look back and say, oh, boy, I told them not to go in the deep end. What were they doing in that deep end? Well, I'm going to let them drown for a little while. I told them not to get involved in that relationship. I'm going to let them go through it for a little bit while. Oh, you know what? God doesn't just sit up on his, his, his stand as a lifeguard and go, my heart is breaking. Oh, my heart is breaking. They're going to drown. Oh, my gosh, they're going to drown. You know what God does? God gets concerned. God says, I can't let them. I can't let them go. There it goes. And God is provoked to action. And he jumps in that water puts his arms around you, grabs you, and does what is necessary. Do you know why? Because God is merciful. Come on, lift your hand and give God praise for his mercy. So basically what mercy is, is an emotion roused by contact with an affliction that comes undeservedly. There is something in your life tonight that you are going through that you don't deserve to go through. Life is not fair. If you're here today and you're waiting for life, you know why you have a heartbreak with a boy or a girl? Why they let you down? Because life's not fair. You know why you don't have the job that you want? Because life's not fair. You know why you're not where you wanted to be when you're in, you know, in third grade, you wanted to be this and that, and you're not there today? Because life is not fair. But like my professor used to say in college, he used to say it, Every single class period, my, my hermeneutics professor, he would walk up to the front. He used to wear the same pants every day. He used to wear the same sport coat every day. Same, I mean, the guy had, either he had one sport coat or he had a hundred like it. He used to walk up there and he used to say, he used to laugh to start off class. He was, ha, 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 ha. life is not fair, but God is faithful. And I used to think to myself, doesn't he have anything else to say? But you want to know something? I went through college for four years. And if you ask me what is the one thing I remember, I remember life's not fair, but God is faithful. Amen. Amen. You've got to remind yourself of that sometimes. Life's not going to be fair to you. 
It is not. You're going to walk out of these doors, you might get a text message from AT&T that says your bill has been overdue for five months and they're shutting off your phone service. You know why? That ain't fair. But guess what? God's faithful. Hello, somebody. You may look at your closet this week and say, I've been having those shoes last Christmas, the Christmas before that, and the Christmas. Oh, yeah. You're going to look at your red sweater that you're going to get ready to pull out for Christmas and say, well, I've had the same red sweater Christmas for the last 10 years. And you think, I don't have in the budget to go buy a red Christmas sweater. Guess what? Life ain't fair, but you have a faithful God. Amen. Hello, somebody. Boy, I could preach that all day. Get amens. I, I don't know what I'm <laughs> Amen. Okay. So it's important to understand that God is stirred to emotion by the same things you're stirred by. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. I'm just going to read it to you. I don't have time for you wait for you to go to it. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know what? God has compassion on you because he often looks at you and says, boy, they sure are confused and helpless. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I often look at that and think to myself, you know, I bet you this looks pathetic to God right now. <laughs> but the Bible says that God's compassionate. My dad's pointing at me like he preached on this on Sunday. Am I stealing his sermon? <laughs> He's compassionate to you. But not only is he compassionate to you, Jesus doesn't just have emotions. He acts. He saw the sick and he healed them. Amen. He saw the demon possessed, he cast the devil out of them. He saw that it was a need for mankind to be saved and guess what he did? He died upon the cross. That's why at this church, I cannot say we have a bleeding heart for humanity and allow Thanksgiving to go by without at least offering the community turkeys. Amen, somebody. Because you know what? God has called us to be units of mercy to Farmington Hills. You look at your life that you are God's vessel of mercy everywhere you go. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn it. He sent Jesus into the world so that he, through him, the world might be saved. You didn't get sent into your job and your office to go around telling everybody they're going to hell. You didn't get in your job to tell everybody that the end of the world is October 7th. It was still here, by the way. Amen. And the blood moons are going to bleed on everybody. And we're all going to die. No, no, no. He sent you to go around and tell people that Jesus Christ is come and he wants to forgive you and help you because he wants to be your father. We are vessels of mercy. Come on, say amen, somebody. Amen. All right. So not only is mercy that, mercy is kindness shown in cases of earthly need. But I want to tell you specifically what mercy is. Mercy is often regarded in the New Testament the way that mercy was regarded in the Old Testament. Are you ready for this? This, this right here is going, to, is going to sum up what mercy is. You don't come to me and ask me what it is. You get this in your mind right now because it will change your life. If he's the father of mercies, the Old Testament people looked at mercy as the faithfulness of God. When you consider every time God was merciful to you, you considered, listen, listen, you have a God that has pledged himself to stand behind you because he loves you. 
You're doing something stupid that you shouldn't be doing, the most idiotic thing in your life, and God looks at you and He says, you know what, they're not going to regret it now, but I, I, I'm the God that's above time, and I see seven years from now, they're going to regret it, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand by them now, because if I stand by them now, seven years later, I'll still be standing by them, and they're going to see that I was faithful then, and I'm faithful now. God God is not faithful based upon when you realize he's faithful. God's been faithful even before you realize he was faithful. Hello, somebody. He was standing by you all that dumb time. You know what? The Bible talks about, I'll do a sermon, the forbearance of God. The forbearance of God means that God patiently waited for you to become unstupid. God looked at you and said, they're still stupid, but I'm going I'm to wait. God says, nah, they're stupid and they're at odds with me. They're at enmity with me. But you know what? I'm, nah, I'm not going to let that car accident happen. Keep that car because they'll go to hell. I'm just going to block it. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to block it. I'm going I'm to block it. I'm going to forbear. I'm going to forbear long and I'm going to stand faithful to them. You have a faithful God that's behind you. I was thinking, I was writing this sermon. Almost tears came to my eyes. I thought about all the stupid things I've done. And I lifted my hands. I said, Jesus, thank you that you stand behind me. I hope I'm less stupider now than I was back then. (laughs) But I'm going to need the faithfulness of God to go ahead. Hello, somebody. So basically, simply put, this is what the mercy of God is. God's help. God's help. And guess what? If it's God's help, mercy of God is supernatural help. And it is divine assistance. It is divine compassion. Somebody say, come on, let's give God a clap offering tonight for his faithfulness. Well, I'm thinking I should just preach this on Sunday. I like this sermon. I preach this sermon all every Sunday. and We wouldn't get tired of it. Amen. Some of y'all are like, no, nah, I'd get tired. No, I'm just teasing. Now, I want you to go to Psalm 136 quickly. Psalm 136. I want you to understand something. Psalm chapter 136. I'm going to read to you while you're turning there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is what it says. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He's not only your Father. The Bible said He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The NLT says, blessed be God, for he is a merciful Lord. But look what it says in Psalm chapter 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let's just say it like this, what we've learned. His help endures forever. His faithfulness endures forever. Give thanks unto God of God's, for his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. You're getting a point right now. Amen. We should give God thanks because he's merciful. But wait, 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 now watch this. Watch how it's defined now. It's defined by how it operated. Verse 12, with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, his mercy endures forever. It's an arm of help. I look at it like you're drowning. Oh, somebody pull you right out of that water. Hello, somebody. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, his mercy endures forever. Him then made Israel pass through the midst, his mercy endures forever. He threw overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, his mercy endures forever. He's talking about the story of the Exodus. The Israelites 
We're like ants getting ready to be squashed. I was looking the other day. I was outside on the phone chit-chatting with somebody. We're in this intense discussion about something. And while I'm talking on the phone, how many get distracted when you're talking on the phone? All the men raised their hands. And men, we don't, you know, you're, you're doodling pictures of whatever. And all of a sudden I see a spider come walking by. And I'm like following the spider. There's a, I'm following the spider. Thinking, wow, boy, that, he sure is pathetic. Does he even know that there's a guy who is about two million times his size right next to him? And, you know, you're on the phone, you're distracted. You could just smash him and, and entertain yourself with it, right? But I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm so bored on this phone call. I'm thinking, well, he probably has no idea I could kill him. Probably has no idea he's at my mercy. So I walk over to the spider. I just put my foot by him to see what he would do. And the spider kind of just went under a rock, you know? And I'm thinking, like, if this was a Disney movie, how would they illustrate what was going on right now? But you know what I did? I said, I'll let him live. And he walked away. That's, that, I don't ever do that, though. And I think about how I looked at this pathetic spider. And then I wonder sometimes, I know God doesn't value us like a spider, but sometimes I wonder if God looks at us like, oh, my gosh. And he's looking at the Israelites like, man, Pharaoh could totally smash him right now. Pharaoh could totally squash him. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give him a pass. I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to divide the Red Sea for him. You know what I'm about to do for the Israelites? I'm go you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drown Pharaoh for him. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead him through the wilderness. And I'm going to give him manna from heaven. And I'm gonna, you know why? Because I've pledged myself to Israel to stand by them in this affliction. And you know what? Anytime you look at your life and your situation as pathetic, you need to confess, I am Lord, nothing without you. But I know I can be confident because I have your mercy that stands behind me. Oh God, I have your mercy. I know I'm pathetic, Lord, but I have your mercy. So there's something about me that you must not think is so pathetic. Yes. Hello, somebody. Yes. All right. Amen. So you know what you need to do is one day when you're feeling pathetic, get out a piece of paper and write your own one Psalm 136. Don't just keep it to the story of Israel. Write down, give thanks to the Lord. Because back in 1989, I was doing cocaine and the Lord delivered me. Amen. Give thanks to the Lord because back in the year 2000, I was treating women... And like there's, like there's something, like an object. But look at I got a beautiful wife right now. Amen, somebody. Amen. Go over there and read down. Yeah, back in 19 and, you know, uh, 87, I remember. I, uh, and you go down and make your own Psalm 136 and remind yourself about the faithfulness of God. Yes. And then you'll have plenty of reason to give thanks. Amen. Hallelujah, somebody. So the question now becomes quickly tonight, why is he faithful to us? Have you ever wondered that? Why is it so you tell me God's faithful? You tell me that God stands behind me. He wants me to do my best. You know why? Because the Bible is very clear about one thing. And it is the most, this is the absolute clearest the Bible is about anything. And I've been teaching on this. And that is, God is your Father. Amen. Hello somebody. It says here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, After this manner, pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's why mercy can be translated often 
as, and it is many times in some versions of Psalm 136, loving kindness. Because God's loving kindness comes from the fact that He is your parent. Hello, somebody. There are many sides and many facets of God. But the scripture has been written, especially the New Testament, that God has made it impossible for you ever to lose sight of the fact that He is a loving and a kind God. I'm going to say this one more time. The way the Bible was written by the power of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that it's impossible to read any decent length of scripture and lose sight of the fact that God has revealed himself to you as a loving and kind and compassionate father. Amen, Amen somebody. You say, why is he a father? Are you ready? This is the most powerful thing right now. Why is God a father? Why did he reveal himself to us as father? Are you ready? This will blow your mind if you really think about it. Because he is. That's his character. That's his nature. You say, did he choose to be a father? No. Did he desire to be a father? No. He had no other option. That's how he is. He has no other choice. That's the God that you serve. He's your father. And he cares so much about you. And like any father or any parent, you could talk to the moms that are here, mothers, when your boy or your daughter does something, would you stand behind them? Defend them? How many times do you see situations in, in the news or in court where a parent, a son is being sentenced, he, he was an alleged killer, and the court rules that son is guilty on four counts of manslaughter. Who's the only one in his corner? His mama. Who's the only one that goes and visits him in prison? His mama. Who's the only one? She may smack him around and beat him up, but I got to tell you what, she loves him all the more. Because I'm going to tell you something. There is something that God has put inherent inside of every parent. To, and I don't know this person, I know this because but I see it in nature, is that every parent wants to stand behind their child, any good parent at least. Amen. Amen. And that is why God, Christ reveals this side of God with such insistent because God is not remote, frigid, and austere. Because God is your father now. When you do something stupid, how many have done something stupid? When you do something stupid, God's first reaction is to pardon and not to punish. Hello. Amen. God's first reaction is to excuse you, not to exaggerate the severity of what you've done. God's first reaction is to give you the benefit of the doubt rather than pass judgment. His first reaction is to help you and not to hurt you. Sounds like the Sermon on the Mount tonight. Amen. Now, I, I'm not going to get into the judgment side of this because I'm not saying that God will not correct you. And I'm not saying that people are not going to hell. What I'm saying is that if you are in hell, if you are done something and you end up there, you have really taken the mercy of God to a very far extent. And what I like to believe is that God is not just taking shovels and shoveling people into hell. God is doing and trying to find every possible thing that He can find to get you into heaven to be where He is at. 
We have this mentality that's come out of the medieval ages. Dante's Inferno and these books that have taught on so much judgment. Listen, I believe in hell. I believe in this stuff. But you know what I believe? This whole doom and hellfire and brimstone stuff. We don't need to go back to that. It doesn't take all that to make us walk holy. You know what it takes us to make us walk holy? To understand that we are Powered by the Holy Spirit in our lives, that we've been given the anointing of God in our lives to walk holy. We don't need, I don't need to tell you and make you afraid to walk holy. I need to know there's a loving God that's working and empowering me. The Bible says that it's the love of God that constrains us. It's the love of God that makes us walk righteous and holy before God. When you get a revelation that God loves you and that He's your Father, you're going to walk holy and say, God, I don't want to displease you. I want to do the right thing, not because I'm afraid of you, because I love you. Preaching good to you tonight. Amen. Someone say, God loves me. Someone say, God is merciful towards me. Someone say, God is kind towards me. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. And remember this. God knows something about you. That you are nothing but a big, giant bag of dust. The Bible says he remembers that we are but dust. Every time you take a selfie, you're taking a selfie of some dirt. Every time you go look at yourself in the mirror, look at yourself and say, hey, dirtbag. Amen? <laughs> That's all you are. That's why people that you spend so much money getting this right, you're just, you're just investing in dirt. Amen, somebody. Amen. I'm investing in the King of Kings. I'm investing in my, my eternity. I'm investing in getting people into heaven. Hello. Amen. Glory to God. The Bible says in Psalm 103, 13, like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are just dust. That's probably why he has compassion on us. It doesn't excuse you. Now I want to talk to you quickly. I have 20 minutes. Write this down if you're taking notes tonight. That God's mercy is what you need in your life when you feel overwhelmed. Mercy isn't always God getting you off the hook when you feel stupid. Do something stupid. Sometimes we look at it like, well, I don't need the mercy of God because I'm not living in sin. Well, yes, you do. You need God's help. Mercy is the prescription that God gave to us when we have to fight overwhelming discouragement and beat crushing odds. Now, listen, God has given every single person an assignment. When God gives you an assignment or something to do, Oftentimes, if the assignment has come from God, that assignment is going to be something that in order for you to succeed, you have got to contend with the most difficult of circumstances. And you are usually in the natural, not even qualified to pick up the plow and go at it. And do you know why God will give you something like that? So you can have an understanding that it is not you when you get there. It was His power working through you. You say, well, why does is, why, why is God make it so difficult? Listen, now watch this. It is so difficult unless you start understanding and depending upon the mercy of God. You'll never get it done. So you say, when God gives me assignment, what is step one? The step one is to say, God, I need your mercy. And God said, oh, he gets it now. Amen. Are you guys here tonight? Yes. All right. 
When God gives you an assignment, you're going to first know for a while, number one, the very first thing that's going to happen. I remember when God placed me in the ministry. God put me out into full-time evangelism and all this stuff. I remember the very first thing that I realized were all the challenges that faced me. Number two, I realized all the people over the years that will do you wrong. They usually want your help on their terms. They want your help and then they disappear. This happens. This is people. Amen, somebody. And then you'll start to realize all the skills and qualifications that you may not have and you probably don't have time to acquire. Or you may have to acquire and it's going to be difficult to acquire those things. And then you're going to realize the situations that you're going to have to endure and how long you're going to have to endure those things. I realized, I'm just going to talk about what I'm doing for me to continue. To, to, to get to and accomplish what God has placed in my life, I realized I wasn't just going to have to endure a short time. I was going to have to endure a long, long time. Amen. That's part of the... Listen, your experience as a Christian requires you to persevere more than a day, more than a month, more than a year. It requires you to persevere every single month, every single day. I tell people, I don't care if you're on fire today. Give me consistency. If you're on fire today and not on fire tomorrow, I don't care. I want to see you could say, I don't feel on fire. Just be consistent. Just be persevering. Just be in your word. If you had a bad day, just keep going. Because persistence and consistency and endurance offsets a bad day every day of the week. Hello, somebody. You're going to realize the mistakes that you are making. I look back and when I started ministry, I, look, I think back, I cringe sometimes and say, oh my God, I can't believe I made that mistake. I can't believe, well, how stupid was I? Then that will turn into the regrets that you start considering. And then what that will do is cause emotions to turn inside of you and you become angry at yourself. Or you look at high, it's called hindsight. And do you know what? God says, I see all of that. And you know what? I've given you my mercy. Amen. I'm going to help you beyond what you don't have. I'm going to help you beyond your trials. I'm going to help you while you persevere. I'm going to help you to deal with the emotion. And because God stands by you and he has pledged himself to give you his help. Someone say, God is helping me. God is All right. So God's mercy is the solution for your challenges. Who has challenges? Your solution is the mercy of God. Amen. Now, I read to you these passages in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, in the book of Titus. Because this is a Bible study, I'm going to give you some history now. Because you'll see that the way the Apostle Paul always greeted the churches was with a salutation. And he would always say grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You can see that in Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Philemon. You will see grace and peace. The reason he used the word grace is charis in the Greek because that was how grace, that's how Greek people greeted each other. You'd walk up to a Grecian and they would say charis, which means grace to you, favor. You're wishing them a favorable journey. That's just, you know, today we say, uh, um, uh, what's up? Or uh, blessings in church. Blessings, blessings. God's blessing be on you. The Greeks, curse. And then the Jews saw each other. They used to say, shalom, which was peace. 
which is would be the Greek erone, which simply means may may God be peaceful. May there be nothing that's hurting in your life. They have a saying that say nothing missing, nothing broken, whatever. You get the point. So when Paul said grace and peace, he was saying for the Jews and the Gentiles, to the Jews, peace. To the Greeks, grace. But then you see something happen. Now we're back to the pastoral epistles. You see in the pastoral epistles that the Apostle Paul greets them slightly different. He says grace and peace, but between grace and peace, what does he insert? He inserts the word elos, which is the Greek word for mercy. It's the Greek word for help. God's help be upon you. How would it be if you walked up to somebody in, 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 after church tonight and said, they said, oh, hey, Caleb, and he, you said, God's mercy, God's help be upon you. You would think, well, I have a biggest, what is he, I got an assignment in my life I need God's help with? And that's because, typically speaking, the ones that Paul was writing to usually had written to him a letter beforehand and expressed to them the enormity or the situation that they were going through. And what Paul was saying is that your difficult situation can be met and overcome by the mercy of God. Amen. Your affliction that you're going through, let me tell you what you need. God's mercy. Amen. More at this time than any other time in your life. But I have it messed up. doesn't matter. You need it now. Because if there's any afflicted among you, you need God's mercy. Yeah. Hello, somebody. Amen. And so, you'll see that the first person that needed mercy in Scripture, like you and I, is Timothy. You say, who is Timothy? Timothy was a young pastor, a young minister, I should say. I don't think he was necessarily a pastor. He was more of a delegate. Paul hadn't totally given him that church in Ephesus. But this pastor had become extremely, I mean extremely discouraged. We say, why is he so discouraged? Because he was a young man and he had the biggest church in the world. That he was overseeing by himself. You say, I want the biggest church in the world. Let me have it. Well, let me tell you something. With success comes trial. It wasn't like I got the biggest church. Look at me. First of all, they weren't really being persecuted that bad during that time. They were. It was coming. But when he first got the church, let me say this. When that persecution came, who do you think they were going to take his head off first? The pastor of that movement. But beyond that, the biggest challenge that Timothy faced was the fact, let me read to you a scripture. It says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 15, For some people have turned aside after Satan. False teachers had come into his church. Now I know we always hear about false teachers in scripture. But listen, this is extremely detrimental. Extremely detrimental. Here you have people you have poured your life into. Given the word, go to their house, help them, talk to them, bury their mom, bury their dad, bury, bless the baby. And all of a sudden, some people come in. And there, the Bible said, subverting whole houses of people at a time. And the pastor is sitting there. If it was a modern day pastor, it would be like him in his office. Getting letter after letter, we're leaving the church. And all of a sudden he walks down the street and he sees who was people that were once his members going into pagan temples. 
People that would come and cry and accept Jesus in their life. They come walking out and he sees them and says, Oh my God, that's Steve, that's Mary, that's Josephine. They're going, they're going into the temple. How do you think that made him feel? And you think about your life where you have something that God has done for you and you look at it like it is starting to slip out of your hands. How many can say that you had something before and you get to a place in your life and it looks like it's just not what it used to be and that thing is starting to slowly slip out of your hands? Anybody ever been there before? Your job was once prospering you and now it feels like your job is, this money is not there no more. The clients are not there no more. It's just not the way it used to be. Timothy was so discouraged the Word of God says that Paul had to remind him of his assignment and why he was there. Are y'all getting something on this tonight? It said, when I left from Macedonia, I urged you to stay in Ephesus and to stop those whose teaching is contrary to truth. Don't waste their time in endless discussions of myths in spiritual pedigrees. And Timothy was discouraged because he was dealing with people who were elitists. But Paul reminded him of his assignment. And I'm going to tell you tonight that whatever thing is afflicting you, I'm here to remind you of your assignment tonight. God has called you. God has anointed you. Amen. God has put his spirit inside of you. Amen. He never promised that you were going to do this without the opposition of Satan, without the opposition of the world, without the opposition of the trials. He never said it was going to be a cakewalk. He didn't say that everything was going to go perfectly. He said you're going to have trials, but take heart. And you know what he said to you? I'm putting you back on your assignment tonight, and I'm giving you an extra dose of my mercy to keep going. Amen. You say, what do you mean his mercy? His help! You can get back to your post because God is going to help you. Hello, Amen. someone. And then, if it wasn't enough for Timothy to go through it, Paul gets another letter. And he has to respond back to his old chappy Titus down there in Crete. Titus is actually, could very well be one of my favorite books of the whole New Testament because there's so much in Titus about the ministry. I love the book of Titus. This is what he says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. For this cause, I left you in Crete. Now here you have Titus, this young pastor as well. And the apostle Paul has left them. The Greek word left simply here means he probably dispatched them. Historians are not certain if Paul was in Crete or if he wasn't in Crete. Some say he was, some say he wasn't. I think it's very possible he was. Either way, he put Titus on an assignment there in Crete. And it says that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as it appointed thee. And then sometimes we go past these scriptures like, what is this? Okay, big deal. No, no, let me explain something to you. This is a big deal. This is, hey, listen, I know that when he got this letter back to him, Titus thought to himself, huh, huh, what are you talking about? Massive thing. Massive undertaking. The word set in order means straighten those things out. Have you ever had someone, you come, you come to them with a problem, maybe you're a boss, and you say, we got this, and they say, straighten it out. Anyone ever know what I'm talking about? But whoa, whoa, whoa. Sometimes you just can't straighten something out, right? How do you know? You just can't, it doesn't happen overnight. You just can't fix it overnight. This is one of those situations. 
You see, Crete was a commercial waste station for seagoing trade. And because of that, there were so many philosophies that left their mark there. And the churches at Crete were very new. And anytime you get around new believers, you're going to find some shady things going on. Hello, somebody. They may be saved, but they're also still a little bit shady. Amen. That shadiness hasn't yet been worked out of them. Hello, someone. And so he was given the task of reshaping the behavior and the teachings of the people that were in Crete. But that wasn't enough. See, as this ministry, let me specifically, I'm not just trying to give you some Bible. I'm trying to turn you into leaders. Amen. Disciple you so that you can go out there and tell people about Jesus. You say, well, pastor, I got someone who's sick. Did you pray for them? No. Why not? You should pray for them first. If you need help, I pray for them. But before you bring them, you do it. Well, you know, I, you know what I want for you? I want you to be people that can go out there and know how to do a hospital visit. Pastor, you go see him in the hospital? Yes, after you go see him in the hospital. Well, that's just that you're not doing your job. No, my job is to invest in you. Amen. Hello, someone. Amen. And Paul said to, Timothy, or to Titus, listen, you need to go out there and you need to take these Christians and you need to turn them into leaders. Amen. Because guess what, Titus? You're going to die one day. And the only thing that's going to be left behind is the next generation. So invest in them. Seems like an easy task. Only one problem. The Cretans, look what it says in Titus chapter 1 and verse 12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, <laughs> Y'all, this is funny. The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Paul said the Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and they only care about their stomachs. Now, I know people that are out there today. And this whole positive confession, they will not admit when something's the case. Now, don't say that about them, brother. Don't. Now, listen, listen, listen. We shouldn't just go passing judgment. But sometimes, y'all, the truth is the truth. But that's not in the Bible. Well, first of all, a nice little study for your afternoon daily devotion will be find out how many times Jesus said something unkind about someone who was opposing the will of God. You're whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside. You are identified by a brood of vipers. Herod is a fox. Study the idiomatic phrase behind there, and you'll see that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, the lonely one of Galilee, he wasn't always the kindest with his words. Now, that doesn't mean you go out there going and calling people whitewashed tombs and broods of vipers. Amen. That's not what I'm telling you to go do. But what I'm telling you is, sometimes you have to tell it how it is. Don't say, well, that person is... No, no, no. I'm not going to believe the best and hope the best. If they're a threat, call it a spade. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So, Paul said, yeah. Leonard, watch this. There is a person at the time, his name was Epimenides. I know you all know who he is. I'm just teasing. He was a poet in the Greeks. Epimenides was the one that said this. He was from Crete himself. And he was a poet that said, the Cretans are always bellies. They care about their bellies. They're liars and so and so. And you know what Paul does? Paul quotes him. And number one, he says, this witness is true. And number two, he calls the poet a prophet. For being right about it. <laughs> do you see how? Do you see what he just did? 
And I'm going to tell you how bad it was. There is a Greek word that means to lie and to cheat. It is a verb. And do you know what that Greek verb is? Kretizo. Any idea where that verb came from? Crete. Kretizo. It means that when you lied and cheated somebody, you were cretinizing. Because they were such notorious liars and they were such bad people. They gained a reputation that you were cretinizing somebody every time you lied and cheated to them. And guess what? Paul dispatched a young man by the name of Titus to go down there and straighten them out and turn them into leaders. Does that sound like an assignment that anybody here wants? Who, I bet Paul, who wants this assignment? Uh, I, I thought I was going to get the one with the five-star hotel and, and, the, and the hot tub. I want the one where they take me on the airplane and, and, and pass and drive me all around. I'm God's child. I should get an airplane. No, you go down there and you hang cretinized with all those cretinizers. And guess what? The answer was the mercy of God. I got to tell you, you may be exactly where you're supposed to be. And sometimes it means being around people who are cretinizers. You may be around people that are so mean and so nasty and so vile. You may go to your job and they talk filthy and they act stupid and they do terrible things. And you know what the Lord is going to do? He's going to leave you in there and He's going to give you the mercy and the help that you need to overcome it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So you know what you need to do? A few things. Number one, remember that for you to have the mercy of God in full effect in your life, you need to meditate on it daily. Someone say, meditate, meditate. God's, mercy. God's mercy. Because you become overwhelmed by what you overload your thinking with. Hello, somebody. You cannot think about failure in God's mercy at the same time. Listen to this. If I tell you one thing tonight, wherever you're at, no matter how old you are, no matter how much you've made a mistake, God is on your side. And do you know what that means? He believes in you. Amen. Your daddy believes in you. Mm -hmm. You ever see a father working with his son to be a better baseball player? The son doesn't, you ever see a son swinging a bat? He don't know how to swing a bat. Daddy gets behind him, gets in there next to him, and says, now you choke up on the hole like this, and you hold the bat like this. He had this little boy. Four or five years old, he don't know what he's doing, doesn't even know what a bat is. The dad gets behind him, let me show you, you hold it like this. You know why the dad's doing that? Because the dad sees the potential in the son. And he believes that this little child could one day become the next Derek Jeter. Or at least play high school sports and know the awesomeness of winning a game. And the awesomeness of hitting a home run over the fence. He's, got, he's a mess right now, but the dad is believing with him. He's giving him help. And guess what? That is how your father is with you in heaven. He is right behind you, showing you how to hit that home run. He believes in you. And you know why I know he believes in you? Because the Bible says, when we were yet sinners, he died for us. He believed in you while you were a sinner at your worst. You're not at your worst right now because you're not a sinner. And he believes in you. Amen. And finally, if you make a mistake, don't run from God. He knows your mistake. The Bible says in Psalm 103, 17, 
The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto his children's children. If you want to see the power and the mercy of God in your life. You are listening to the light of today with the powerful life-changing word of Christ that heals, delivers, transforms, and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Let God's truth burst forth into your heart. Stay tuned to the light of today with Chris Palmer. If you feel like something is stalking you, you confess God's mercy follows me. Amen? Amen. Well, go ahead and stand up tonight.